what you then have in the 19th and the 20th century is Americans substituted this uh, vision or this idea of God being in the center for the nation. But actually, it's all about the nation. It's all about the state. It's all about America. It's a big idea that what life was all about. It's all about our country and our nation. So it's all about our democracy. It was all about our freedom. It was all about our values. All about conquering the frontiers and all of the things that go with that. And for those of you who know a bit of history, you'll see it in President Lincoln's words, that America is the last best hope for humanity. So a good life, what life was all about, was about building community and serving your country. That's what, in essence, that stage was about. And then what he said is, is in the third part, the big story, the big idea, is the second half of the 20th century, and in the first, and in the 20th century, and then this 21st century, is a new big story emerged. A new big idea has taken hold of society, and that's the story of the self. The story of the self. Notice the, how the things have gone. Start with a massive big picture of God got a bit smaller to talk about our nation and essentially now the argument is it's all about me everything the big story of life is all about me from vast infinite creator God to all about my little self now you may say well so what how does that matter what's the relevance of that to me this morning. A number of years ago, a few years ago, a film came out uh, that some of you may have seen, some of you may have not seen. It was a film called Wild, in which there's a, a well-known actress called Reese Witherspoon um, starred in it. And she starred and she played a woman who had recently been divorced, and she was called Cheryl Strayed. That was her name. She'd recently been divorced, and she went on a big adventure after that. But this is what she said. This was the word she said coming out of that film. She said this, um, I realized after months that I wanted to change my name and this was the time to do it. I began searching for a new name by making lists of words that meant something to me or sounded good with the Christian name of Cheryl. She didn't want to change her Christian name. She tried some names out, but none seemed right until I centered on strayed. Naming myself became symbolic in many ways. It signified to me how it was that I needed to take full responsibility for my life. I had to create my own happiness. I had to build my own strength. I had to be the engine for my momentum. And for many, and I would argue for many Britons, particularly in 2009, this is a story that really actually centers on where we are as a culture. This is a story we're living in right now. Each of us is here to create our own happiness. Each of us looks inward for our own strength. And each of us is the engine for our momentum, our own success, and our own futures. Look inside the hero inside of yourself. So it goes, apparently. Christians, however, over the many centuries have adopted a very different approach to what makes for a good life. 
Christianity says, live your life for God. Let God fill your life with strength, with meaning, with purpose, with joy, with love, with peace. Let God fill your life with his life. Let God be your strength. Let him create your joy. Let him create your pleasure. Because as Psalm 100 says, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. So we have some choices in front of us for anybody who lives in our culture at this time. The choice of live for self or live for God. We're looking at the life of Jesus through this year in the Gospel of Luke. And this morning we're looking at three narratives that Stephen read to us. All that have calling at the center of them in Jesus' ministry. The Bible describes a universe in which each of us is called to God. Each of us is called by God and each of us is called to God. And what do we mean by the word calling that appears in these readings? How is it different from just looking inside of yourself and figuring out what you want to do or what you want to be and just going after that and achieving all you want to? A calling is not an invitation. A calling is not a multiple choice exam. God doesn't ask for advice regarding his call on our lives. Rather, God calls. God calls. God calls. God says, here's what I made you for. Here's what I look for you. This is what I made for you, created for you. This is what it looks like for me, to, for you to obey me, to follow me as a single parent or as a widow or as a married person or someone at work or someone in school. In each of the circumstances we find ourselves during our day-to-day -day lives outside of this building, whether you're a mother, whether you're a worker, whether you're a friend, a neighbor, a citizen, we're called to live for God in many different ways. But God calls us to follow him. But our primary calling is to be in relationship with God and to God. Before all the tasks, before all the things you want to do, before all the things that actually you may have in your mind that you want to achieve, we're called to be in relationship with God. And so often, and so often particularly as a vicar, actually one of the things I find most often is that we're completely consumed with all our secondary callings. We're completely consumed of what we're going to do for God. And somehow we've lost sight of God himself and we become confused. And the problem with that is this, is that the restlessness that is at the core of our being, that is at the core of so many of our lives that we try to fill our lives with meaning and purpose with, is never dealt with. We look for other people to fulfill our needs for our marriages, for our relationships. We look for our careers to fulfill ourselves. We look for our families to fulfill ourselves. We look for our hobbies to fulfill ourselves. Our friends to fulfill us only to find that we've lost sight of our primary calling, which is the calling to be with God. You and I this morning were made for God. You and I were made to be in relationship with God. All of us will experience a restlessness and spread that to others unless we get that right, that heart of the thing right, our relationship with God. Our three readings 
show Jesus, the Son of God, calling people to himself. Just going to briefly go through them. If you, you follow your Bible, we're going to go through them briefly in each one. Uh, in Luke 5, to begin with, um, page 103-2. The crowds are pressing around Jesus as he teaches. So Jesus decides to get on Simon's boat and pushes out from the shore so he can actually teach the crowds more clearly. After finishing, Jesus tells Peter to head out and to go fishing. Note the irony. Here's a carpenter telling a fisherman it's time to fish. A carpenter is telling a fisherman how to fish. Jesus is taking the initiative with Peter. Conditions certainly weren't right to fish. It was the middle of the day. But all the previous night had been a waste. They'd caught nothing. Nevertheless, at Jesus' word, and after a bit of protesting, Peter cast the nets out. Peter is responsive to Jesus' leading. The boat overflows with fish and begins to sink. Something profound dawns on Peter. That only an agent of God could have produced such a miraculous catch of fish. So, God, so Peter bows down before Jesus. In, wo- in words full of respect, humility and awe, he asks Jesus to go away from him. Peter doesn't feel worthy of being in Jesus' presence. He believes that God works with and uses only the special people, only the holy people, and Peter certainly isn't one of those. Of course, what Peter doesn't realize is admitting one's inability and failure is the very best prerequisite to be used by God, since you can then wholly depend on God. So Jesus replies to Peter by telling Peter, Peter, don't fear. Jesus then calls Peter into a life of gathering people and rescuing them from the fullness of the world, calling them to repentance and bringing them into life. The disciples respond to Jesus' call by leaving all. You'll see it right at the end of that particular passage. And they follow him. That was the last time they spent a day just as fishermen, as Jesus has radically changed their lives. Now this is a very famous passage, and it reminds us again and again that it is God who is taking the initiative in his world and in our lives. It's God's mission, it's his church, it's his calling. It is all about Jesus. God at the center of everything. Theologians continually talk about and constantly go on about the need for our lives to be God-centered, to be theocentric, God-inspired and God-directed. Each of us here this morning, to whatever degree, whether you think you've come here by your own will, whether you've just come here because you're going to try us out, whether you're here to support Jake and Erin, at some stage in our life, may have sensed that, is God real? Might he be calling me? Is there something in my life that is created to be with God and for God? However tentatively this morning, you may express that. That you may have sensed God is calling you by name. God is calling you to himself. 
Or maybe you already know that, but actually God is calling you, nudging you, speaking you about specific things or specific opportunities he's looking for you to take. I love the fact uh, in this cool narrative that happens that um, Jesus is about Simon Peter's business. It's about his day-to-day job. They're going out fishing. It's a very, um, it's very normal existence. This isn't some holy moment in a holy place and a holy thing. Jesus is calling Simon Peter at the very place of his work. So what might God be saying to you today? What might God be saying to you tomorrow when you're about your normal business and your work? Are you conscious that God might care or is interested in what you're doing? It may just be the still, small voice of God. It may be an impression. It may be something that comes to your conscience that you know you need to deal with. But God is calling you. God is calling each one of us to himself. The question is, are you open? Are you interested? And do you want to follow? Peter casts out his net, and being obedient shows his willingness and his obedience um, to Jesus. He, Peter is responsive. We see in the response of Peter he, how he made, how Jesus then subsequently used him to do extraordinary things. Peter was willing. He's responsive. He heard Jesus' word, even though he was a fisherman. Peter also bows before Jesus, showing his humility. Peter knew he needed God, not the other way around. Some of us, and particularly those of us who end up in leadership, like myself, and many of you here, some of us can get into the unfortunate habit of giving the impression that we're really doing God or the church a favor, as everything, everybody else would be struggling unless we were doing it for him. Peter shows us that the way of Christ is a way of humility. And the people, the Peter and the disciples, leave all to follow them. They're committed. They're fully on board. They're fully committed to follow Jesus. There was no greater call or privilege than to follow what God wanted. So this morning, I wonder, as well as responding to the call of God on your own life, have you ever taken a risk to follow something you felt God was speaking to you this morning? Have you ever sensed the sense that God might be speaking to you? If you're not sure, then talk to another Christian, ask their advice. But maybe you need to take a risk to hear God's voice and to follow it. Whatever that is outside this building, it's not to do with the church necessarily, but actually to respond to him. Then we move on in verses 27 uh, onwards on page 1033, and we see this beautiful encounter between Jesus and Levi. It shows us that Jesus reaches out to everybody, to all, all those who are on the edge of society as well, the people other people ignore. It's not for the select. It's not for the right type of people in following Jesus. This is despised tax collector. We see, see, see the same shape here that we see with Peter. Jesus is taking the initiative and Levi is responding. But we also see in this amazing bit where Levi then throws a great banquet, a feast with all his friends. This doesn't impress the religious type of people. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In ancient culture, to sit at the table communicated acceptance. I wonder whether in a year time, year's time, 
rather than doing a safari supper just for ourselves, maybe you could do a safari supper for people you don't know, or have only just come into contact with, people who have nothing to do with the church. Jesus then explains his actions. Jesus notes that a healthy person doesn't need a physician. The sick do. The image is a strong one. When I go to the doctor, what do I expect when I go to the doctor? I'm sick. I'm the one who needs help. I cannot help myself. I need help. And Jesus calls them to repent. Jesus' mission, as with the church's mission and our mission, is to bring a message of salvation and healing, to restore relationship with God. And we need to connect with people outside these walls if we're going to be good news. If we're going to share the good news with someone, we need to actually know some people who don't know that good news. Levi invites his people to meet Jesus. I wonder when there was the last time you reached out to some people to share good news with them. I wonder when the last time was. Notice Jesus censures the Pharisees. Isolationism is not the way. We have good news to share, the share of experiencing God's grace and healing power of the gospel through repentance. We can't heal ourselves. We need God. It requires humility to accept his help. And then lastly, in this short account, where Jesus gathers his disciples together. Jesus gathers and commissions his followers for the mission that he's calling them to. This unique, humble, and diverse group of 12 people, they're everyday people, not special people, form the leadership base for Jesus. Jesus' task as a leader is to prepare his community for the future when he's not around. Jesus gathers together a band of followers, the disciples calling learners, as though it means, who will train up and transform into being instruments for God's use in this world. Jesus isn't holding on to power, but empowering others and giving it away so they can give it away to others too. And that's still the church's task today. As Jesus gathers his team together, he spends the entire previous night in prayer, Thus, his calling and his selection of this group, this small group of disciples in the context of communion with God. As we draw to a close this morning, each one of these narratives shows us how God is at work in the world, calling people to himself and calling people to follow him and join in with his mission today. That same call is still here for us today. The preoccupation question for most of us is often this, what should I do, Lord? Where should I go? But it's not those questions that are unimportant. It's just that these questions, those questions are secondary questions. Your first call is to know God intimately and to follow him. That's the first call on my life. That's the first call on your life, to know God, to know him intimately and to follow him day by day, day by day, day by day. And until you do that, you're going to continually feel restless, continually feel dissatisfied, continually feel confused in all your secondary callings. 
what might the Holy Spirit be saying to you today? Do you need to know God this morning as your saviour and the healer of your soul? Do we need to turn to God? To turn to God almost face to face and say, I need a saviour. I need a rescuer. I need a healer. Free me from the weight and the penalty of all my sins. You are the one who will save me and clear the debt in my life. The one who will save me from the power of sin, of addiction, of all the things that um, trouble me and come against me. When we turn our lives over towards Jesus, he's the one who can rescue us. He's the one who empowers us. He's the one who brings us life. And the habits and the, mind, the things of our mind that enslave us. So Jesus, our Savior, is calling each one of us this morning to follow, to, to follow him, to give ourselves to him, to listen to him, maybe to bow before him, to obey him, and to follow him day by day. Will you respond this morning? Amen. I'm going to take a moment of quiet.